Hello, and welcome back to the Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and we're in a chapter of the podcast talking about this DCS tool that um, I'm working on. And uh, the last episode explained a little bit what the motivation is. So just in summary, we want to have a sort of want to have a different improvement, I think, on the way functional programming is done, which is to give us a core language that's not only pure the way it is in Haskell's core language, but also statically enforces termination. And so then if you have code that's not terminating um, or that you don't want to bother to try to convince the termination checker is terminating, then you need to bump that out into a monad. And so uh, the language follows Haskell's lead in using monads to kind of put the stuff that doesn't really fit in the core, just fit it in there somewhere, but use the type system to signal that that stuff isn't in the, in the core. And so um, in this episode, I want to tell you, I want to kind of give you a guide as if you were just downloading the tool. So the, the re- repo is on GitLab and I've made it public now. So there's a link in the show notes that you can follow um, to check out the repo. And so uh, in this episode, I want to just kind of tell you a little bit about what you'll find with the tooling. And, um, you know, I hope it would also be interested to people who don't actually want to go off and play with DCS because we'll talk about some kind of tooling ideas that I'm really interested in, quite committed to. And, um, you know, that might be thought provoking. So, yeah, and also kind of share the status. So right now, DCS basically consists of a, um, there's a Emacs mode, which is how you interact with DCS. You could also use it in batch mode, um, but that's not, it's the intention right now is definitely to use it interactively and so to use it within Emacs. And I've chose Emacs because I've, I mean, I'm familiar with, how to create modes that lets you do some sort of IDE kind of work, um, you know, that you kind of build an IDE within Emacs. And it's, it, you know, Emacs is very nice for that. It's programmable um, in, in Lisp, which is a functional language, even if not my preferred functional language. And uh, I happen to have Stefan Monnier is working with me on DCS, and he, for one of the, for a time recently, was the lead maintainer of Emacs. So. <laughs> Uh, DCS couldn't have any higher level of expertise when it comes to Emacs. Um, that's not represented by me. So, but when it, when Stefan says like, "Oh, that's not quite how we would do it," like, "Okay, cool, cool, whatever you say, <laughs> I'm definitely going with your advice." Um, so, anyway, so yeah, so you interact with DCS through an Emacs mode, and the Emacs mode handles keystrokes that you generate. You know, you type keys and stuff, and it gener- it sends commands to a backend. So when you install install DCS, you basically have to tell your Emacs about DCS, and the README says how to do this. And you also, and part of that is the, the um, Emacs needs to know where the DCS backend executable is, and that's something you can configure. Uh, and so, uh, because it's going to send the front end's going to send commands to the backend, and then the backend is going to reply. And I followed the Agdom modes approach here, which I think is pretty slick. So instead of having your ELISP code, you know, somehow parse or process some replies, you just have the replies be raw ELISP. 
And then the front end, all it does is it just evals that ELISP. So whatever the back end wants the front end to do, rather than sending a message that says, hey, I want you to do this, the back end just sends um, ELISP function calls as text, as strings. And then the front end just says, whatever I get back, I'm just going to evaluate that. And that's how we're going to make stuff happen in reply. You know, we're going to carry out what the backend says we should do. So for example, for like syntax highlighting, um, when you get, when you pull up a DCS source file, you'll see it says DCS in the mode line for um, Emacs. And if you do control C, control L, then it's going to load the file. And, when it and what loading the file means is it's going to ask the backend to please parse the file and process it. And so the backend is going to you know, parse the file and it's going to do a bunch of different analyses on it. And it's going to send back information to the front end. And among the information it sends back, it will send, um, it'll send highlighting commands. So um, it just it has a bunch of ELISP code that it sends back to the front end that says, oh, you know, this function, this call to highlight this little chunk of text in green for because it's a key, you know, it's a punctuation or whatever, this kind of stuff. So you get your syntax highlighting not from anything that Emacs provides, because Emacs does try to provide some stuff for syntax highlighting, but you get it from um, the back end just sending these commands to the front end that say that um, actually, you know, set faces on um, regions of text. Um, so yeah, so you do control C control. And if there were any errors, then you would get error information. You know, again, the backend would send ELIS code that when the front end executes it, it's gonna then display errors. Um so that's kind of the the you know sort of basics of the setup. Um Emacs front end and uh the back end is written in Haskell. Right now it's about four thousand lines of Haskell. Um, and so to me, something really important, which again, transcends just me giving you a like introduction to the tool, which is kind of what I wanted to do today, but something that sort of transcends that is, I think that, um, you know, a lot of programming language implementations that I've seen, um, is, you know, I haven't used, um, a lot of IDEs, like I haven't used VS code, so I don't know how much better the situation is in an IDE. I mean, IDEs are supposed to provide um, you nicer ways of interacting with your code, but just the classic thing, like if you're just running um, Haskell, if you're just running the Haskell compiler, you're basically going to get a dump of error messages from your, if there's a problem, if there are problems in your source file. And you don't get, it's, there's very limited capabilities for kind of figuring out what's going on in your source code. In Haskell, you can put underscore expressions places. You can say underscore whatever, and then Haskell will give you a dump of what the typing context was at that point, which is pretty helpful. Um, but still, it's it's kind of um, these are pretty limited functionality for understanding what's going on with your code. And I'm really really committed to the idea that that you need to interact, like you and your compiler are a team. <laughs> You're a team to try to get that code right. And so it's really important that you have a good interaction, just like with any team situation. So if the compiler just sneezes out a huge mass of error messages, including lots of like compiler generated names, for example, I mean, we'll see in DCS, it's hard to avoid having some compiler generated names, but 
Um, I mean, Agda right now is my champion for not doing this right because in Agda, it's totally, it's very easy to have Agda spit out error messages that say like, oh, you know, something about un meta variable underscore X underscore 3,467. You know, in other words, very, very internal, you know, generated gunk from the compiler is coming out to you. And one way you can ask yourself if the interface between you and your compiler is good is thinking about like, if I had to code up something that worked with that interface, you know, like, could I count on, you know, what, what's doc, what would I know the compiler is going to tell me? Like, is, is there something where the, I'm sure that the compiler's information it gives back to me would follow a certain format or what, what properties do I know about that information? For most compilers, the answers would be pretty much zilch. If you want to code something up that depends on exactly what the compiler is going to spit back to you, you you'd be hard pressed. I'm not saying DCS is there, but DCS is trying to be, um, you know, more, uh, for example, just in controlling generated names better. That's one important thing. Um, but also the most important thing is you need a, to navigate a huge amount of complicated information. I mean, this is not even a type theory, right? This is just a pr functional programming language, just, you know, just a functional programming language as if that was such a trivial thing. But I mean, type theory situation is even worse, right? It's much, it's even more complicated. But here, when you're talking about a terminating core functional programming language, there's some of the complexity is going to be there um, with the type theory. And we need... Um, so basically, your compiler has calculated a ton of information about your program. All the typing information, for example, for every sub-expression the compiler has calculated or tried to calculate, if it could. And we need to provide programmers a way to navigate that information. We can't just dump it all out. That's terrible. That's not helping the programmer at all. What are they supposed to do with this amount of information? Even the error information, which is really important information to the programmer, but there's other information, error information too. Again, like in a, in a type, statically typed language, just knowing what the static types of all the sub-expressions are is, um, is really uh, important information and can really help a programmer understand someone else's code or even their own code. Even the code they wrote a week ago or code they wrote five minutes ago to figure out what, what's happening there, especially if the code isn't checking. But even if it is checking, Right? Like, why is it working? Why, why is the compiler happy with this? So in DCS, you can navigate through the source code using keystrokes with the Emacs front end, and you can request typing information, and you'll see subtyping information too, because as I said last time, DCS is really, really committed to subtyping, unlike other languages in the FP design space that don't, you know, despite so, so much theoretical work in programming languages research on subtyping, it's really, you know, pretty under-featured in functional programming languages. It's not in Haskell, and maybe it's in OCaml in some limited places or something, but not. it's definitely not featured. But DCS is absolutely committed to subtyping, and so you can see subtyping information at nodes. Now, right now, um, the so that's, that's a very important value that I have and that the DCS system is going to, um, you know, commit to, is navigating providing as best tooling as we possibly can figure out how to provide for navigating the complex information that your type checker has calculated about your program. And so again, the keyword is navigating. You, the programmer, are going to have to decide what you want to see, and it's up to the tool to try to let you see that in as helpful and nicely organized a way as possible. And so DCS, you can highlight any sub-expression, and you can get typing information and subtyping information about that. Um, it, 
DCS is currently, I would say, there's still plenty of work to be done to make this better. Um, subtyping, one of the reasons subtyping has a bad name is that there's so, so much subtyping information that gets calculated, and understanding that information and presenting to the user is basically not, that we don't think we've really seen a very good success on that up to now. Um, so, you know, with subtyping, you're going to generate a lot of meta variables internally if you do the sort of standard approach of generating constraints and solving them, and DCS uses this approach. So there's lots of meta variables generated internally, and how do you present that information to the user? So it's that there's, I, I definitely don't think DCS has got it um, as good as it could be right now. But that's a value that DCS is committed to, and it's and it's realized to some degree already right now because you can you browse. So when you're um, anyway coming back to how the setup is, when you do Control C Control L, you switch modes in DCS. You switch to what DCS calls structured editing mode. Right now, there's not actually any editing you do. It's just sort of like structured code navigation mode. So, but I, I, it's not out of the question that, that there could be an actual sort of structured editor that would say like, well, insert a lambda here or insert this here, and it would kind of insert it in a structured way in your text, in your code. Um, but yeah, you go enter another mode and it will say DCS exclamation mark in the mode line to say you're in structured editing mode. And from there, you get all sorts of handy little commands. Um, if you're on a symbol and you hit a dot, you'll jump to where that symbol's introduced. If you hit a dot right again, it'll jump back. You can jump um, to imported files the same way. You just put your cursor on an import declaration. And just like in Haskell, imports all have to come at the top of the file. And you hit a dot, and you'll jump there and come back when you hit a dot again. Um, unless there are errors. So right now, that's a little bit awkward. Like if there's some errors, that kind of gets a little bit messed up if you, your imported file has errors. But um, if it's not, you would hit a dot, and then hit a dot, and it'll come right back to where you were from an import. Um, if you hit S, you're selecting the um, syntactic expression that has that starts where your cursor is. Um, so if your cursor is on the start of a lambda abstraction and you hit an S, you'll select that lambda abstraction. Now, um, it can happen like for an application, if you have like F, A, B, C and your cursor's on F, then there's actually a bunch of expressions that have the same starting position. So if you're in, if you've done Control C, Control L, so you're in DCS's structured editing mode, and then you do an S, DCS will actually kind of tell the back end will tell the front end here are all the expressions at that point. And if you so you then use S to toggle to sort of cycle through them. So like if you had FABC, you hit an S, I think it gives you the biggest one first. So it would give you FABC. And if you hit an S again, it would give you just FAB, and then S would give you FA, and one more S would give you just F. And you hit S again and it will toggle back to FABC. So you just sort of cycle through the sub-expressions. Um, with this particular starting position. And if you use D, keystroke D, you'll cycle through this sub-expressions with a given ending position. Um, so that's just, this is a way to select expressions. Um, could you just select them by just like dragging over a region? Um, yeah, that probably worked too. That's not implemented. That could be a good feature to add. Like just put a, you know, highlight some region in Emacs either by dragging with your mouse or or um, using other Emacs ways to highlight a region, and then saying, like, telling the backend, you know, I want to select, like, let's say the biggest sub-expression, or the smallest sub-expression that's right around where I highlighted. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be a nice feature. I think we could put that in as a feature request. Um, anyway, so um, I'm out of time for talking about this now. I'm going to pick this up again next time. And, uh, and come check out the repo, and it, you know,
get involved. I'm going to start putting some issues. I don't, I don't have any right now that are good to jump in on, but a great thing to do is if you want to get involved and I'm inviting, I am inviting um, type three commute listeners who want to get involved and possibly contribute to the project, please jump in. Um, there's any, there's going to be lots of stuff to do anywhere from like writing standard library functions, which will be probably just a fun coding exercise to, like, you know, contributing to the tooling to actually like, you know, research level problems to work on. So I know people, there's some people out there who would probably like to get involved in a more, like a little more challenging level. And so I am opening this up for, for us to give that a try. Um, so we may even, you know, depending on how much interest I get and how things go, we might even have a kind of like dev meeting, <laughs> people who are working on this. We might even have a dev meeting. I've got, I mean, I've got some people here from Iowa and also I'm visiting Johns Hopkins this year, as I mentioned. So I've got some people here who are working on it. Um, but there's plenty to do. And, and so it'd be cool to, I'd really be super psyched if some people wanted to do some work on it. Again, for the starters, just download that tool and, um, just play around, open up some of the things in the standard library. There's a std lib directory and you could open those up and kind of browse around a little bit. And in subsequent episodes, I'll be telling you more about what's going on with it. Like, um, you know, there's some parts that are kind of involved, like in particular, how does that termination checker work? It's very different from other termination checkers that are out there. So, all right. Thanks a lot for listening and I hope you're well wherever you are.